passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Give me your prognostication, if you will, what you think may happen when we see 2022 in the Winter Olympics. On the ladies' side, Alyssa Liu is currently the two-time U.S. national champion. She's only 15. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is Olympic figure skating gold medalist and celebrity champion on Dancing with the Stars. Christy Yamaguchi. Presented by Geico. Reality TV fans likely best know today's guest as the winner of the sixth season of Dancing with the Stars. But sports fans revere her for her extraordinary figure skating in Albertville back in 1992 when she became the first Asian American figure skater to win an Olympic gold medal. It is my pleasure to welcome the great Christy Yamaguchi. Christy, welcome to Game Time. Well, thank you so much for having me, Boomer. <laughs> Great to be here. First and foremost, you and I have a lot in common, by the way. You probably don't realize this. I was asked to do Dancing with the Stars the first, second, and third season that it came out. My teenage daughter at the time told me, you're not doing that, Dad, because you're going to ruin my life. Not my <laughs> life, her life. So do more people know you for Dancing with the Stars than your skating prowess? Probably it opened up a whole different demographic. I think a lot of kids watch that show with their parents, right? So um, I had other young kids coming up to me and even little boys being like, oh, that's the lady from Dancing with the Stars. And, you know, no clue that I was actually an ice skater too. Well, you should have done it. <laughs> I should have done it. I know I, I didn't have any trepidation. I wanted to do it. But my, like I said, my teenage daughter, Sydney, was like, you're not doing that, dad. You're not ruining my life, that, that kind of thing. But uh, at the end of the day, did you have any trepidation going into that type of competition? You know, you have the skating back background, you have the choreography background. I was just wondering if there was any nervousness going into this. Yes, there. I mean, it, it actually took me a few weeks to 
confirm that I would actually do it because um, I was a big fan of the show. I loved watching it. It was great entertainment, but going on live TV and then being judged and receiving scores again was kind of, you know, I was like, oh, I left that behind. And, you know, do I want to go through all of that pressure again? Another thing we have in common that you probably don't know, I'm a huge hockey fan, so we both love hockey for different reasons. Obviously, Brett <laughs> Hedekin is uh, your husband, and he was a former NHL player. He was on Team USA when you guys met over in Albertville. <laughs> uh, my son-in-law actually plays for the Islanders now. So uh, we are a hockey family, an NHL pro hockey family now, so we have that in common. Uh, What kind of impact has he made on you and your life since you guys met and, you know, his professional background? I was always a hockey fan, and, you know, a few years leading up to the Albertville Olympics, I was actually training in Edmonton, Canada. So hockey's life up there, and that's where I was really introduced to Uh, professional hockey and the San Jose Sharks had just come into the league so I was really learning a lot about it so had a great appreciation for it when we actually met in 1992 and you know I think it's a similar lifestyle that he had you know compared to mine and you know being athletes and really focused on that short window that we had to really do what we could on the ice and then um, you know knowing that we're going to be traveling a lot, living on the road and, you know, tough schedules like that. So, you know, I think even though our sports are very different, but on the ice, um, you know, the lifestyle and just kind of the mindset um, was so similar. 1992 Olympic figure skating gold medalist Chrissy Yamaguchi says, people ask me, when did you know you were going to be an Olympian? And I'd answer maybe a year before. And they're like, really? And that's how I am. Like, really? Is that what you thought? Yeah, I think I just didn't want to get my hopes up too much and to set myself up for disappointment. And I really, really focused on what was in front of me and um, that particular season. So, um, you know, I had even going into the Olympic year, I still hadn't won a U.S. title yet. Um, I actually won my first world title before my uh, U.S title. So, you know, there's always doubt and like, do I have enough? And, you know, it was really competitive out there. But um, I think about a year before the Olympics, when I did win that first world title, um, it was like, okay, well, the Olympics is only a year away. This is a great um, intro into that pre-Olympic season. And, you know, my confidence had taken a boost up. I don't know if people know this, but you were born with club feet and you had to wear corrective braces for how long? Well, for the first 18 months, I actually had casts on both feet um, or both bottom parts of my legs. And that was just to straighten out, I guess, what was happening as I grew. Mm -hmm. So every couple of weeks, my mom said I would have to go in and get new casts put on as I was growing. And then about 18 months old, um, I moved into the corrective shoes and braces, like uh, with a bar between the, the, the two feet. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I remember learning how to crawl and trying to walk with it, but not <laughs> figuring out that army crawling was much easier yeah. wearing the brace. So um, probably up until I was, you know, two or three years old, I feel really fortunate that my parents took the initiative and had those corrections made early on um, because it, it allowed me to obviously pursue uh the career in athletics, which, you know, probably they never thought would happen 
when I was do you, born. <laughs> do you, I was going to say, do you remember the first time that you actually put on skates and whether you liked it when you first tried them on? Um, I remember loving it. It's funny. I can almost feel like my mom holding me up and me trying to just, you know, skate around the rink with her. Um, I would, yeah, I was about six years old. And, uh, the one thing I do remember so vividly is, you know, we had frontal skates. It was, yeah. you know, first time going mm -hmm. and I didn't want to give the skates back <laughs> when we <laughs> left the rink. I said, no, these are mine. And my mom's like, no, no, when we come back, you can get those same skates again. So, um, you know, I think it was at that point when she realized like, uh Oh, okay. I think she's found something that, that she likes. Yeah, well, not only do you like that you ended up becoming a world champion, and, and I guess Dorothy Hamill was some sort of, I guess, inspiration and somebody that you looked up to. Yes. So, I mean, it was late 70s when I started skating, and, um, you know, obviously Dorothy was the uh, America's sweetheart at the time, and I had the little Dorothy Hamill Barbie doll, and, um, <laughs> you know, didn't know what the Olympics really were at that age but uh you know she was an idol and i looked up to her and and her skating like I, I do remember watching her skate i want to talk to you about dedication and what it means to become an olympic champion christy yamaguchi has said she kept a positive attitude at the 1992 winter olympics yet she recalls that prior to her short program it was terrifying and then prior to her long program it was terrifying so christy how did you actually overcome the fear and realize that you were skating for the gold well that first night for the short program i knew what was on the line and so much of that is going through your head and i kept trying to push it aside and um you know shortly before i was to go uh, do my warm-up on the ice and get ready for the competition um, i received a note from my choreographer um, Sandra Bezik and uh, she was actually working that night but had someone bring it down to me and it was just a simple note and basically said um, this is your moment uh, this is you know you're stepping out you know enjoy it when we choreographed the that program um, it's to the Blue Danube it's you know famous waltz and it was kind of like my, we choreographed it as my debutante ball and um, having that feeling. So it, uh, the note just really put me into the character and reminded me of, um, you know, the confidence and, and the work that had been put into it and just didn't really enjoy it. In a situation like that, do you just kind of lose yourself? You're so focused that you don't even realize what's going on around you and you know that you nail it. Yeah, I mean, I, because you train that same routine over and over and over every day, it can get robotic or you just try to turn your brain off and let the music nice. carry you through. So, you know, that's a lot of how I calmed my nerves was just like, okay, listen to that first beat of music. And as it starts, let it go. Like, just let it, your body do what it was trained to do. When did you decide to dedicate your life to this? Like what, I mean, you moved to Canada. I mean, that's sacrifice. You basically gave up, like, I feel like you gave up your junior and your high school years to become a, a world champion gold medal winner. When, when did that hit you that you had to make that kind of sacrifice to become the champion that you are? I mean, I would say by the time I hit middle school or towards the end of middle school, I knew that that's what was my focus and that I would really do whatever it took to be the, as competitive and, and, and getting the training in and the instruction and everything 
to take it to the next level. So, um, so yeah, it was, you know, a different type of lifestyle, especially as a teenager growing up, but it was, it was really my choice. And um, I did get to stay home through my junior and senior year, but literally the day after I graduated is when I moved up to Canada. So, um, you know, I kind of looked at it that, okay, this is, these are my college years, you know, I'm moving away from home, I'm going up and, you know, learning in a, a really rich training environment. Um, and it was, it was really a positive move, but it, it was a bit of a leap of faith, probably. Christy Yamaguchi recalls that after the Olympics, the Asian American community was the first to reach out and offer assistance and help. That's when I realized that my, what my winning meant to the Japanese American community and my parents' history. And let's talk about your parents for a second, Christy. I know that they were an internment camp here in the United States. I'm, I'm sure it was very, very difficult for them. When you found out what their story was, how did that impact you? You know, I think we find out when we're really young and I think it doesn't really register kind of what that all means. But um, as I got older and particularly after the Olympics um, is when it really started sinking in and knowing that, um, you know, the, the hardships that they, their families went through, what they went through and to really establish a life uh, here in the U S and to allow the next generation to live that uh, that American dream. Um, I was I definitely felt I was a, a product of that, of their perseverance, of their determination, of their uh, love for this country and belief in, in, in this country. So getting that support from the Asian American community was incredible. And I think that's when it really hit me um, that I, I felt how I felt so fortunate to have had um, the opportunities because of the trail that was blazed um, by the generations before. And it was true that your your mom's dad was also a U.S. military war hero. Isn't that true? <laughs> yes. I mean, he was um, in Europe and during World War II and, you know, fighting for the U.S. And uh, his wife, my grandmother, was back here, um, here in the U.S., but felt safer. You know, she wasn't it wasn't mandatory for her to be in, in a camp because right. of her husband, but she felt safer there. That's where her family was. And when she was pregnant with my mom, she, she wanted to be with family and have that support. So uh, my mom was actually born in the Amachi, Colorado camp, um, New Year's Day. <laughs> wow, that's some story. So uh, I've also heard that you said that it was tougher when you turned pro than the Olympics that uh, when you were a touring pro, that you went out there, you were in front of all these people that paid all this money to come and see you try to win in that environment. What was that like? Um, it was an interesting transition. I mean, back in the early 90s, there was still a pretty big distinction between um, amateur skating and then professional skating. And uh, felt so lucky to join um, an amazing professional tour called Stars on Ice. and. Um, I was joining the ranks of Scott Hamilton, Rosalind Sumners, Brian Orser, um, and these were seasoned professionals who really uh, continued to build their careers and create a professional skating environment um, that was uh, could be, you know, a career. So 
Um, I felt like a rookie kind of that first year after the Olympics, even though I had just won. Um, I felt like I had a lot to learn. Um, I, you know, knew how to focus and execute and to do the technical things, but it was really a whole new world opening up and becoming a professional skater and entertaining. So um, I had the best to learn from, and it was probably the greatest 10 years of my life touring um, with that with Stars and Ice Company. In 1996, even before she became a wife and a mother, or her other professional skating career had ended, Christy Yamaguchi was inspired by her parents to give back and she wanted to help benefit children, her other passion. The Always Dream Foundation is still going strong, and Christy says, I'm blessed to have made an opportunity to be able to make a difference. So, Christy, I have to tell you, I, I take my hat off to you. I know it's difficult during these times, the pandemic times, especially for non-for-profits. Tell me about your Always Dream Foundation. Yeah, so we are in our 24th year. Uh, the last nine years we've really been focused on early childhood literacy so having a reading program uh, targeted to kindergarten uh, kids and their families uh, who are low income and really providing them the tools and the access to books that they need to really create a, a strong foundation of reading of the love of books so that it will carry them through um, their entire school careers. Already three best-selling uh, children's books. Any more on the way? Uh, just talking to my publisher and yeah. Uh, yeah. I do have some ideas for a fourth book and uh, we'll hopefully, you know, buckle down and, and, and start writing, <laughs> yeah. you know, this summer. So, so we'll see, hopefully. Uh, that's good. And as far as the Winter Olympics is concerned, it's going to be uh, in Beijing in 2022. Um, give me your thoughts about that. Give me your prognostication, if you will, what you think may happen uh, when we see 2022 in the Winter Olympics. Yes. So hopefully um, we'll see the Tokyo Games go on uh, mm -hmm. next summer in 2021 and then Beijing right around the corner with the Winter Games. And um, I think as far as figure skating, the U.S. will have a potentially very strong team. Um, and on the ladies' side, uh, kind of a, another local gal here from the Bay Area, Alyssa Liu, is currently the two-time U.S. national champion. And she has yet to compete at the world level because she's only 15. Wow. <laughs> so next year, um, the Olympic year, will be her first year to be able to qualify age-wise um, at that senior competitive level. And she is up there with the, the rest of the top of the world uh, doing quadruple jumps, the triple axle jump. So really having taken the technical side of skating in the women's category to a whole new, another level. Um, and on the men's side, Nathan Chen, he is also um, world champion and uh, will probably be leading the men in, in, in Beijing as well. How much different is it skating today compared to when you were skating back in the early 90s? It's pretty different. I mean, the skill and the technique, obviously uh, you wanna see the progression and the growth and that's exactly what has happened, um, especially in the women's category. I mean, what they're doing as much as, as the men are now, which is, it, it blows my mind really. It's like, <laughs> wow. Um, but that, you know, and also the judging system, the, the way the sport is uh, judged is completely different. So 
it's um, it's add different nuances to skating and the I think the personality and how the viewers see it. But um, you know, obviously, still great sport. <laughs> you know, to me, it looks so dangerous, and I don't know how these kids come up with these different routines, especially as you just said, a 15 year old doing these jumps and all of this. I mean, how how does a 15 year old come up with the routine and the ideas to go for it like this? And how dangerous really is it? Well, first of all, hearing that coming from a football player <laughs> makes me laugh. Okay? Yes. We don't have people running at us trying to kill us. So, right. you know, and flatten us. So, um, you know, it, it's it's really finding a way and, you know, taking small steps to, to get yourself to that next level to try the next thing. And, yeah. you know, when you're learning jumps, they do sometimes use like a harness to, you know, assist you and make the falls less uh impactful but um yeah i, I you know it's, it's just kind of you, you throw yourself in the air and you know hope for the best well when i watch you guys fly around the ice i think man those people are crazy but yet <laughs> definitely a performance of a lifetime christy thank you so much for joining us here today and to all of you out there watching i'm boomer Sison, and i'll see you again soon right here on game time if one of your daughters came to you today and said mom I'm moving to Canada to go work on my skating. What would you say? Go for it. My parents did this for me and they um, indulged me to go after this crazy dream. So, you know, I, I really want to try to do that for our girls as well.